Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. Clearly, God has given the Jews the power and the strength that they needed to prevail. Reminds me of what Isaiah said, that no weapon forged or fashioned against thee will prevail or prosper. And such is the case here in that it was not able, they were not able to prevail over the Jews. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Esther. Whenever we go through a trial or a seemingly hopeless situation in life, it can be easy for us to forget just who it is that's on our side. In the case of the Jews in Assyria, they were more than likely fearful of the onslaught they were about to face. In today's message, Pastor J.D. reminds us that with God on our side, no weapon formed against us shall prevail. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Esther, chapter 9, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Esther, chapter 9. Now, here's the thing. Uh, We're only going to take one chapter tonight, and this for three reasons. The first of which is, I don't want to end the study through the book of Esther. This is such an amazing study, and I want to I want to savor uh, this book. Uh, there's only one chapter left, and if you know uh, and have already read the entirety of chapter 10, you know that there are only three verses in chapter 10. So next week will be the last chapter, and there's only three verses, so it'll be the we'll set a new world record for the shortest Bible study on a Thursday night. Uh, no, actually, that's uh, one of the second reasons. I'm, I'm really wanting to spend more time on the uh, uh, typology that is in the book of uh, Esther, and I kind of wanted to devote uh, that final uh, study next week, Lord willing, when we uh, complete the book and chapter 10 with a study of the typology that is in uh, the book of Esther, and also kind of a, uh, a recap as well. The third reason is I'm still dealing with this cough, and I'll do my best not to uh, have it be a distraction. So we're just going to take one chapter tonight. All right, verse 1. In the twelfth month, that is the month of Adar, on the thirteenth day, the time came for the king's command and his decree to be executed. On the day that the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, the opposite occurred, in that the Jews themselves overpowered those who hated them. You remember now that when they cast the Purim at the command of Haman, uh, after getting uh, the king to issue this edict to annihilate the Jews, that it fell on this specific day that would actually be nine months after the time that they had cast lots, or the Purim. Well, that day has come now. And that's what chapter 9 is about. And we're told that on that day, this 13th of 
the month of Adar. Now the enemies had prepared to launch their battle in the hopes of overcoming, overpowering, and annihilating God's people. And instead, we're told that the exact opposite happened. I love starting off a Bible study with passages and verses like this. Clearly, God has given the Jews the power and the strength that they needed to prevail. It reminds me of what Isaiah said, that no weapon forged or fashioned against thee will prevail or prosper. And such is the case here, in that it was not able, they were not able to prevail over the Jews. And notice the detail here where we're told that the enemy of God's people who hated them. Uh, not much has changed uh, today in our day and age. Uh, the Jews are amongst the most hated people because they're God's people in all of the world. Well, there's an important truth that's here that applies to us today, and I, I think it would be good to spend just a little bit of time on it. And it's that of God providing us with this same promise as His people that we too will be victorious against the enemy. And our enemy, as we'll talk about here in a little bit, is not against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against man. Our, en- our enemy is in the spiritual realm. The Apostle John in his first epistle, chapter 4, verse 4, says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Romans 8, verse 31. By the way, Romans 8, and we'll uh, talk about verses 37 and 39 uh, through 39 next, But Romans 8 is one of those chapters in God's Word, pardon me, that I think we would do well to revisit on a regular basis. And the reason I say that is because oftentimes the enemy succeeds in some measure in getting us to doubt the love that God has for us. He succeeds by creating and building this infrastructure of guilt and condemnation. We're going to be talking about this a little bit on Sunday as we start in the book of Ephesians. Can't wait for that. But it's one of those chapters in God's Word where we're told in verse 1 of chapter 8 that there is therefore now no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. No guilt or no condemnation. And here in verse 31 we're told that What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I was talking with uh, someone today on the phone, and uh, she reminded me of this this individual that is against us. (laughs) And, you know, it's always disheartening. And they're just against the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. They're against anyone who teaches it. And they come out very vitriolic uh, against uh, those of us who uh, believe and teach uh, the truth of the pre-tribulation rapture 
of the church. And she asked me, she said, um, have you seen some of the more recent ones? I said, no, nah, I've only watched one. And after that, I just said, you know what? The, Lord, the Lord's got this. If God's for me, no one or no thing can be against me. And I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to engage whenever we get uh, emails that are very vitriolic and antagonistic. I just say, Lord, you take care of that. He always has the final word. Romans 8 verses 37 through 39 says, no, in all these things we are not just conquerors, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, and this is why this chapter is so important, I am convinced, Paul writes, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. That pretty much covers it. That's, that's quite thorough, quite exhaustive. Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than victors. We are more than conquerors. And no weapon fashioned by the hand of the enemy will ever prevail against us. We are victorious in Christ. Verse 2, the Jews gathered together in their cities throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus to lay hands on those who sought their harm. And this is not to pray for them. So you understand, (laughs) lay hands on them, to attack them, to kill them. And no one could withstand them. And here's why. Interesting. Because fear of them fell upon all people. And all the officials of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and all those doing the king's work helped the Jews because the fear of Mordechai fell upon them, for Mordechai was great in the king's palace, and his fame spread throughout all the provinces from this man. For this man, Mordechai became increasingly prominent. Now, think about this. These people in all the provinces, some of whom had actually witnessed this, were eyewitnesses of how all of this played down. Played out. They they watched and saw how that Haman had basically all but succeeded in annihilating the Jewish people. Certainly, they knew of the gallows that he had built to impale Mordechai on, and to see the turn of events, to see the exact opposite happen. And instead of Mordechai being impaled on those gallows, it's Haman who is instead. They watch that. You don't think for a second that they're not going to fear God? Who Who is like unto the God of this Mordechai and this Esther? Who knew? She was a Jew. The queen was a Jew. Who knew? And they watch this whole thing play out as they're watching it from the sidelines, so to speak. And what happens as a result is the reverent fear of God comes upon them. Don't mess with this guy's God. Did you see what he did? 
I wouldn't mess with Mordechai either if I were you. Look how prominent he is now. He has been given all authority. This is like with Joseph. You remember? He was the most powerful man in the world, save Pharaoh. Here now is Mordechai, the most powerful man in the kingdom, save the king. And the fear of all of them fell upon them because of it. Now, this is interesting, and I say that because the same is true for us in the sense that the fear of God can come upon people who, and I mean a a healthy fear, a good fear. We're told in the Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. And when people watch the hand of God in our lives, they see what God is doing in our lives, it does create this sense of the fear of God. Look what God did for them. It creates a reverent and even a holy fear that comes as a result. Verse 5, thus the Jews defeated all their enemies, this is interesting, with the stroke of the sword, with slaughter and destruction, and did what they pleased with those, and here we're told about it again, who hated them. You get the impression that they really hated them? That's because they really hated them. Now, interesting detail, and I think it's here for good reason as it relates to the Jews defeating their enemies. How? By way of the sword. Now, why is that interesting, and why is that detail provided for us here? I think it's because it has very practical application to our lives in our spiritual battle. And by the way, let me ask you this question. Why do you think it is that God didn't just somehow, I mean, He could do anything. He's already done everything behind the scenes in His sovereignty and His providence. Why couldn't He just have destroyed the enemies so there was no battle? Why did they have to go into and through the battle? Yes, they'll be victorious, but why didn't God just end it right there so that this battle never had to take place? After all that Haman had deceptively done, and I think the answer is because sometimes God wants us to go through the battle because it's in the battle that we see his mighty hand at work on our behalf in giving us the victory. Now there are some times in our lives where God just fights the battle for us. There are some battles that God just doesn't have us go through, but there are other battles where God does want us to go through it because of what he has for us in and through the battle. But how does the victory come? The victory comes by way of the sword. What's the sword? It's the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. And what's really interesting to me, and if you don't mind, I actually want to read Ephesians 6, uh, verses 10 through 17. We're going to start uh, in the book of Ephesians, having just completed the book of Galatians on uh, Sunday. And this is the next book in our uh, trek through the Bible, book by book, and chapter by chapter and verse by verse, but very interesting. The only piece 
of the armor, spiritually, metaphorically, that is not defensive to protect us is the sword of the Spirit. It is the only offensive weapon, and it's the the weapon that determines our victory. Think about this. When uh, uh, Jesus was tempted after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and Satan came to him and tempted him, how did Jesus come out victorious in that uh, temptation by the Word of God? What does he do? He pulls out the sword of the Spirit, if you will, and he quotes the Word of God, specifically out of the book of Deuteronomy. Satan comes at him and tempts him, and what does he do? He just quote, it is written, it is written, it is written. You know, we're told to, by the apostle Peter, to resist the devil and he will flee. That is the deciding factor. It's the Word of God. It's using the Word of God. Because Satan's very clever and very cunning. He'll come to you and he'll say, Hath God said, you know, just like he did in the garden. And he'll, he'll quote Scripture, but misquote Scripture. And if you don't know the Word of God, you'll fall prey to it. And you'll fall into it. And you'll be defeated because of it. That's why the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, is so important. Well, let me read verse 10. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle, or I like how another translation renders it, we wrestle not, wrestling is a very intense sport. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not. We wrestle not against people, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, Did you notice there are four separate, different ranking entities in the spiritual realm? You have those that are in positions that rule. You have another that are the authorities. You have the third that are the powers of this dark world. And the fourth, which are the spiritual forces of evil. One has suggested that in the spiritual realm there are different rankings, just like we would have different rankings in the military. So these are different rankings, and they're assigned in the spiritual realm to rule over certain areas and rankings within uh, this spiritual uh, warfare. Verse 13, Therefore, Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And verse 16, in addition to all this, or as another translation renders it, above all, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
And then verse 17, take the helmet of salvation, and here it is, lastly, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you'll indulge me just for a a brief moment here, I want to kind of give you a a better visual of how this armor actually worked. Let's start with the belt of truth. Very significant that it's the first one that's mentioned for good reason. This is not, you know, random. The belt of truth held everything in place. And isn't that fitting? Truth holds everything in place. Uh, The breastplate connected to the belt of truth. The shoes all the way up protected the the legs, the feet, everything, all the way up to the belt of truth. The shield of faith, when not taken up, I want to talk about that in a moment, would connect to the belt of truth. The helmet, when not worn on the head, would connect to the belt of truth. And certainly the sword of the Spirit would also, when not drawn and used, connect to uh, the belt of truth. What's my point? My point is that the truth holds everything together. If you don't have the truth, then everything falls apart. You have nothing to hold it and tighten it and keep it in place. It has to be based on the truth. What does the breastplate do? The breastplate of righteousness? Interesting. It uh, protects the heart. Protects the heart. It's not our own righteousness, which Isaiah says is as filthy rags, it is Christ's imputed righteousness. And so that protects these vital internal organs. You know, my hand is not a vital organ. If, if I, God forbid, lost my hand, I would still be alive. I can't lose the internal organs. Those are vital organs. And that's what the breastplate of righteousness protects those vital organs, and chief of which is one's heart. How about the helmet of salvation? This is an interesting one. Protects the mind. Because here's Satan. He comes in, and he starts planning doubts uh, about one's salvation. You know that on a weekly basis, I'll get comments and emails that are sent in to the office. People that are questioning their salvation. They, they have doubts about whether or not... These are, pe- these are people that are born again. They love the Lord. They are saved. And somehow Satan has succeeded in planting this seed of doubt in their mind to start getting them to question their salvation. Isn't it appropriate then that the helmet of salvation would protect the mind? The bravery and trust displayed by Esther throughout her life is encouraging to us, especially as we face trials in our modern world. She clung to her faith in God despite worldly influences, and when she needed Him most, God showed up in incredible ways. There's much more to learn from Esther's story, but sadly, that's where we need to end for today, here on In Spirit and Truth. We're so glad you tuned in to Pastor J.D. Farag's message. We'd like to let you know how you can hear more of his messages. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of teachings. You'll find a link on our website to our mobile app, too. That way, you'll be able to take God's Word with you wherever you go, filling the gaps in your day with truth and blessings. 
This app is free and provides you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and updated editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a look at current events around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new every weekend and will help you put world events into perspective. The Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. Come find us on Facebook as well and keep up to date on everything that's happening at In Spirit and Truth. Thanks for joining us today. Pastor J.D. will continue teaching through the book of Esther next time on In Spirit and Truth. Keeping me right with the old Holding me true to 